Who is responsible for our growth and godliness? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truth of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik. So, Brian, today we are uh, continuing to jump around a little bit um, in, and deviate from our normal pattern of chronological reading through the Scriptures, uh, jumping from Acts to 1 Peter last week, and this week we're in, in 2 Peter. So, it's kind of a fun deep dive mini series on uh, the preeminent apostle in the early, in that part of the early church. Yeah, and instead of saying we're deviating from our our pattern, I'd like to think of us as creating a new one, Aaron, that we are we're forging because this is what we're going to be doing for a while. We're going to spend a couple weeks in Acts and then look at some epistles that relate to what we just saw in Acts. So, mm. it's a new be positive. I'm tr- you know, I'm trying. I'm trying. So, it's uh, But yes, you're new correct. We're looking at we're looking at Second Peter today. Um, last time, as you said, First Peter, because in Acts we see Peter, who is kind of leading the early church, and so it's fitting that we see some things that he wrote later. Mm-hmm. So Second Peter, as we get ready to, to look, we're going to be focusing on chapter one, verses one through eleven of that epistle, um, written in the late sixties, mid to late sixties. Uh, again, with a lot of dating of scripture, sometimes we can be more precise because of circumstances around a, a letter or, or book. But many times, you have to have a little bit of a of a elbow room for for when this occurred within a few years. And so, Second Peter is one of those. We it was before Peter's death, and that is believed to have been in sixty seven A D. So. Uh, it was before 67, so that's why the mid to early 60s seems to make sense. Mm-hmm. Likely writing from Rome. Um, we're not sure of the audience of Second Peter. It could have been the same audience as First Peter, which would have been the church scattered, but we're not quite sure. So that kind of a little bit of background on Second Peter to, to help us get going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And so because we are looking at a whopping 11 verses, we actually have enough time to read the whole thing. So we're going to start our discussion by actually ex- by actually reading the text, and then we'll jump into that. So uh, here we go. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to, by his own glory and goodness. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that, cl- that the cleansing 
from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. So, a couple of things that we can note right off of the top, just listening to this, is um, for those wondering if uh, members of the early church thought that Jesus was God, it's pretty clear that uh, that Peter believed that Jesus was was divine <laughs> and is divine. So... Um, Man, that is that claim that skeptics make has. I mean, not only is it indefensible. There's, as you're pointing out, there's so much defense to the contrary. It it is one of the more ludicrous attacks on on Christianity, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. So, but we've got that. So we've got that one out of the way. But um, as we as we study this passage, what are some some questions that we should be asking? One of the first ones we see there at the beginning in verse two is as Peter's kind of in, in the introduction of the letter, and, and he talks about grace and peace and them being multiplied. And I think a question is if grace and peace are part of our salvation. I mean, that's kind of when we think about it, that's what we usually focus on. We're saved by grace, and we we have peace with God because of our salvation. And, and those are more positional truths then how can they be multiplied to us as, as Peter's writing about? Uh, first of all, I want us to notice there's a logical order there, that, that grace and peace is in that order for a reason, because we can't have that peace without grace. Um, so got to pause there and appreciate that. Grace, again, is God's favor toward us. We often think about it in the terms of salvation, but it's not exclusively limited to that. God's grace goes beyond that. He gives us unmerited favor in many different ways. And peace can have three meanings to it. Um, All three can be true. You don't have to pick or choose, although the context may lean one way or another. But you have peace with God. And again, that's what we think of salvation. Before, Before we trust in Christ, as we are still unregenerate, we are at odds with God. We are enemies. We are estranged. And then because of Christ, we immediately have been given peace with God through what Christ has accomplished. And that's positional. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also peace with others. This is the working out of the gospel. So when when God changes us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are better able to live with peace with others. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Think about gentleness, forgiveness, and so forth. These factor into that to make it so that we can live more peaceably with one another. And then peace within— this is a lot of times we, we focus on this as well, that that internal calmness of heart that the gospel brings to us and that Christ brings to us, even through times of affliction, that we can have peace. So three kinds of peace. So again, grace and peace are essential for salvation, but they don't end there. Mm-hmm. So we still receive God's favor, his grace in many different ways, and we still receive and experience peace working out in different levels. So what Peter has in mind here is really that aspect of it, that our salvation is not, you know, when we trust in Christ, that's not the end of the journey. It's the beginning in many ways. And what we experience there just continues to grow and become more beautiful as we experience more of God's kindness, his favor, as we experience peace within and peace with others and so forth, and rest in the peace that we've been given with God. So I think that's what he has in mind here about multiplying these in us. Yeah. And after that, 
Peter Peter starts talking uh, a great deal about uh, godly living, and um, and he has two and two big questions come out, which are really the heart of the question that led off this episode. So uh, I'm going to handle handle both of those first. The first, the one, and then its counterpoint. Um, so uh, in verses three and four, we had seen that um, um, that. God had given the these great and precious promises uh, that um, He has given all the power uh, that and everything that is required for a life of of godliness and goodness, um, all through His own uh, glory <laughs> um, and His own goodness. So, um, so the question here is: is that when we look at these verses, is Peter telling us that God is responsible for our godly living? And the answer is yes, he is saying this. God has given us his power, the ability to live differently. He, he has, when we are, uh, when we experience peace with God, so when we are redeemed and, and, and saved through faith in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the, is the one who provides us the power to live a life, uh, a godly life through his power. He has also given us his promises. And so he has given us a motivation to live differently because we live in the expectation and hope of um, not just having a nice kind of lifestyle today um, or the promise of health and wealth and good relationships now because we don't live in promises of those things at all. Um, the promises that we live to are the promise of the new creation, uh, a world where sin and se- uh, sin and death and sickness and sadness will be no more. And instead, we will experience eternal joy and eternal peace, eternal fellowship as we live with God forever. Um, in a world where these things are no more. And so he has also given us, it says, his divine nature. Now, that's a weird that's a weird statement to make because what where we often will jump to as North American readers is we will read that and say, okay, so what um, so he's making us gods? And no, that's not what's happening. Um, if you go down that if you go down that track, you end up in Mormonism, and that's not where we're going. <laughs> um, that leads somewhere else, and it's not good. So, um, in, but instead, so it's not that it's saying that we're gods, um, and it's not saying that we're like God in every way. But what it, it's a way of saying essentially that we are being made new and and remade and re, refashioned in the image of Christ, to be like him. We have the capacity to live now as we were originally created to live, which is a good thing. Um, ultimately, um, that we have a new, it's, it's a, this, this phrase that really speaks to this new identity, this new, this new creation in Christ, as, to use Paul's language um, as well. And so it's a parallel to that. The the second the the follow up the flip side of that is that in verses five to seven he spends a lot of time um, saying make every effort to supplement your faith 
with goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, love, you know, things that sound sound very, very similar to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, interestingly enough. Um, so here is the, so here's the question here. Are, is Peter telling us that we are responsible for our godly living? And just like the answer with, with this, with the previous question, the answer is also yes. So we are that those, that phrase, we are to make every effort is really, really, really important. Growth in the faith is not passive. We grow, we change, we pursue it. We do it all through God's power, though. So it's not in our own effort. And that's the thing that he doesn't say. He doesn't say, through your effort, grow in, grow in, in godly living. He says, make every effort. After having talked about the power and the promise that God gives beforehand, to say, God has given you everything you need to do this. Now do it. That's what he's saying. And so our godly living is basically based on both what God has done and on what we do. Both are true. They are not mutually exclusive, and they are not in competition for one another. And that's that's something that we've, we've actually talked about quite a bit recently because we've been talking about uh, sanctification. We're going to be talking about justification um, as well. We're a little bit out of order on that, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're doing, we're doing that to actually help, help groups, uh, for, for that, for that. So, but, um, but that's, that's the thing. They go together. One leads to the other and they are inseparable in this way. Yeah. I like how you, you mentioned that Aaron, that, you know, these two, they're not mutually exclusive. We see this in many other places. We've, we've talked about it because it's, it occurs in scripture quite a bit. This, uh, this harmony of God working in us and through us, and yet we are not passive. We don't do it ourselves. And so it's a really, really critical idea that, uh, again, whenever it comes up, we just need to kind of pause and kind of consider it more deeply. Another question that pops up here is found in verse 8. Um, so after this discussion about godly living, um, Peter talks about us being useless or, or unfruitful. What, what does he mean? How can a Christian be useless or unfruitful? Um, I think the starting of this answer is to remember a bigger idea that, that our salvation is not just all about us. Yes, we matter to God. Yes, our personal salvation is important. We come to faith in, in, by ourselves. But there's much more to our relationship with God than that. I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking myopically. They think it's just about me, right? That God saved me. That That's it. It all comes down to me. Um, a lot of times we don't mean to do this, but a lot of times it's just still, you know, revealing the selfishness that's deep down within us. But we have to break through that, let the Spirit go to work in us based on what you were just talking about. And recognize it's not just all about us, that God has us here on earth as conduits that he uses to bring others to faith as well. We have a purpose. We have a mission. So not only are we supposed to share the gospel with words, but we are supposed to live in a way, as Peter's talking about here, that glorifies God to affirm the message we proclaim and also draw others to an awareness of the reality of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel. So we have purpose in what we are doing. 
And so we can be useless or unfruitful in this sense if, if we are not allowing this, our salvation to, to work in us and through us, as, we, as you talked about. If we're not doing our role of it, if we're not letting uh, the Spirit work in us and we're not bearing this fruit, if we are, are not sharing the gospel, um, if we're not part of this mission, then what are we doing? We, we're doing nothing. And in that sense, then we are useless. We are unfruitful. Again, useless sounds crass. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us. That's not what it, <laughs> you, got, you got to think a little bit more utilitarian here. Um, you know, think about a tool. Does if you have a a tool in in your shed, say a shovel, and the handle's broken, it is now useless. It, it just you won't. Mm-hmm. You can't use it to dig a hole. So it's the same thing. What goes a Christian if the Christian is not living out his or her faith, is not doing these things on, on mission? So do we benefit from our salvation? By all means. Do we advance the gospel? We don't. And so that's what Peter has in mind here, that we have got to understand our role that we play. Yeah. Yeah. And connected to that too is really this next question that comes out of verse verse 10 and and I really appreciated the way that you put that um um although you know I'll admit it's always weird hearing one of us talk about a utilitarian approach um when reading a verse cuz usually we're so anti such things but I think it is important that uh that we do recognize that this is not a a question of value in terms of our value toward God. Um, so I'm glad that you, that you, you pointed that out. Um, and this is what, and, and all of that to say, this leads into this next question of how do we confirm our calling? Um, because in verse 10, he says, you know, confirm your calling and, you know, um, you know, all this stuff. And, um, and so really the question there is, is the question behind the question is, is how can we know that we're saved? So, and this is a common, common, common question that people ask, especially those who struggle with um, doubts and uncertainty and, um, and they don't always have a, um, a sure sense of that. But we do have to recognize that there are really two parts of this. There is that internal sense that, um, that yes, you, you experience that peace with that, that internal peace that comes from God, that, that is, that is birthed out of your reconciliation with God and, and out of peace with him. There is, there is that internal sense. And although there are times that there are certainly times, places, people who either they more fleetingly feel that or they, or that, um, they infrequently feel it dissipating. Um, we need to recognize that that the feeling is not is not the determinate a determination because you can feel like you're good with God and be in big trouble. Um, at the same time, you can feel like you are uh, doomed for hell and um, and actually be really good with Him too um, because of faith in Christ. And there's the caveat: this is not a this is not a call to universalism. Uh, I just had to make sure that that was clear right there uh, because, you know, you never know what someone's going to say when we say things. But um, <laughs> uh, but 
so there is that that one sense of an internal of an internal understanding of this or an eternal gra- in, internal grasping but there is an external sense by which we confirm our calling and that speaks to what we've previously talked about um it's it's the fruit of of a godly lifestyle the fruit of godly living um that is why peter talks about this so much for the first 10 verses he is going on and on and on about this because he wants people to know that they are in Christ. He wants them to see that they have that they can confidently hold fast to the promises of God and have hope. Um, because, I mean, clearly, uh, and that that's really important because I mean we see through the rest of the context of the letter like this is this is a church that's very concerned about about some really serious things, false teaching and persecution and all kinds of, uh, and all kinds of other issues that are going on. And we see this all throughout the story of the new Testament post, uh, post Jesus ascension. This is, this is a common theme and thread. And so, I mean, you think about Thessalonians, for example, with Paul's writing where people were concerned that they'd missed the return of Jesus. And he's like, no, 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 no. This is what's going to happen. And so here's how, you know, um, and so there's a, and you know, you have in, in second Peter, you have parallels to Jude and, uh, as well. And so there, this is why I'm saying there, this is a common theme that comes through. That's right. I think one other uh, question that we have here is found in, in 10 and 11. And it, in this, we see, you know, Peter talking about avoiding sinning, avoiding stumbling in some level. And, and we have to ask, does, is Peter suggesting here that there is a way that we can avoid sinning altogether? Uh, you know, that, that we usually we think of stumbling as sinning. So when he says that we're not going to mm-hmm. stumble, is that what he means? Can we stop sinning before Christ returns? Um, and the answer is, is no, that, that is, that is not what he means. And we can't do that. We've talked about this in other contexts. Um, that while we're being sanctified, we're growing in, in Christ's likeness. We are never going to stop sinning until either Christ returns and changes us or we die and we're, we're, we're finally rid of, of our sinful minds and hearts. But again, Peter's not suggesting that. What he, what he has in mind here by stumbling is not necessarily sin itself. Um, it, it's not that we won't have troubles. It's not that we won't sin. It's that we will not stumble out of our salvation. It, it's that our salvation is secure. And the key here is not just to, to read 10 in alone in isolation, but to read into 11. So again, let me just kind of read that together. Therefore, mm-hmm. brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Verse 11, mm-hmm. for in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Christ will be richly provided for you. So clearly his context, his thinking, as he talks about stumbling is not individual sins or, or difficulties, it is entry into the kingdom. So we will not stumble by coming short of our salvation. We will be affirmed, as you're talking about, having that confidence in our calling, and we will know that heaven is in the future for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That is a, you know, there's so much that that we can get out of even just the really what is the introduction to <laughs> to a book uh, because there's more to second Peter than than just this but um, 
you know, sometimes just stopping at, at a at a chunk like this, it, it's very helpful to recognize there's so much, there's so much packed within every word of scripture, um, and and I I really appreciate being able to to just let that stew uh, in by using the the format that we do and and dig into it more deeply. So. Um, Let's uh, let's switch gears here, though, and let's think about this passage um, from a discipleship perspective. So um, someone listening is likely discipling someone else. Um, so whether and whether that someone is a child, a teenager or an adult, um, there is there is someone that they are feeding into. So what kind of um, guidance can we offer them uh, when working through this passage with someone else? Well, I think one of the big ideas is what you talked about earlier, Aaron, and that is, uh, you know, this passage provides another passage of of that balance between God's work and our work. Um, And again, as we talked about, it's not only here, it's many different places. And so we see here that we have to rely fully on God, but we don't do so passively. Um, We have to act in response to what God is doing. So I think as we are discipling others, whether that be a, a kid or an adult, somebody who is newer to the faith or somebody who's, who's been walking the faith for quite a, a long time. Um, it's a reminder, or uh, maybe for the first time learning this, that we have to avoid either of these two ditches. The first of being passive, believing, well, God will do it. And we kind of passively throw our hands up and say, well, God's the one who does it. I'm just passive. And, and we fail to understand, no, we, we've got to be involved in the spiritual disciplines to grow. And there are things we have to do. And so we don't want people we're discipling falling into that ditch. The other is the exact opposite, um, trying to do it on our own, uh, failing to rely on God, thinking, all right, it's all up to me. I've got to spend all the time in, in the disciplines, and it's all up to me, and I'm the one who's going to do this. And we bear a weight that's never meant to be borne. And that actually either can lead to two different places, destinations. Mm-hmm. One is arrogance, spiritual arrogance, if we see some kind of benefit or value coming out of our effort and we think it's all on us, we did it. Or the second one, and this is probably more common, is just dejection because we can't do it. We, we don't have, you know, God is the one who has all power. We don't. We're limited. We're finite. And so we try to do it on our own and we don't, we're not effective and it's discouraging. And so th- those are, I mean, those are dangers here that, that we see. So Helping those we're discipling understand this balance of relying on God completely. And it, it sounds, you know, for us, it sounds like it, uh, uh, we're, we're say, talking out of both sides of our mouth because we have to rely on Him completely. And yet we do things. We obey. We, we, we live it out. We pursue the disciplines and so forth. Both of those are equally true. They're both important. Yeah. Yeah. The The other thing that we need to do is we need or should take away from this um, is that we ought to consider who needs to actually see and experience our godly living. And so uh, this this goes back to this idea of being useful um, and remembering that God places us in the specific times and specific places in which we live for his purposes. And so that is, and and that ultimately is always so that someone might get a glimpse of what it means to live at peace with God. And so both, and, and that 
flows in two ways. One, one of course, is with our words, speaking the gospel to to others, um, but also seeing the fruit of the gospel in our lives. And so we've 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 emphasized that very heavily in this episode, intentionally, not at the expense of gospel proclamation, but our proclamation um, can be distorted by a lack of fruit in our lives or a lack of apparent fruit. So if our neighbors know that we are um, professing Christians, but they see no evidence in our lives, well, why are they going to care? Yeah. They're not going to. The same with our kids. We, our kids are actually the best barometer for, for our faith. Um, in that they see us more closely than anybody else. And so they can hear us talk about Jesus all day long, but if they do not see that we live out, that we live in light of what we say we believe, then they know that we don't really believe it. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think the last thing that we can kind of consider here for helping those who are discipling others is, you know, this, this passage gives us a good opportunity to remember and consider our relationship with God to confirm it, um, to look for those markers of our of our faith, those signposts giving evidence. And, and again, as you talked about, there's that internal, and, and we don't want to dismiss that. Um, I think some people wrongly dismiss it out of concern that our, our, I mean, our hearts can lead us astray very easily. We've talked about this before as well. That's very true, but we should not dismiss that. There is, Scripture does talk about this inner confidence, this knowing Mm-hmm. But that's not the only thing we should rely on. If that's all I had, then I'd want somebody discipling me to say, wait a minute, let's think about this. If all you have to go on is this internal feeling, maybe that's a warning sign because the scriptures also talk about all those other ways. We look for the fruit of the spirit. Is the fruit being born in us and through us? Are we demonstrating uh, more gentleness and peace and so forth? Do we hunger for God's word? Are we repenting of sin, not because it gets us in trouble, but because we, we are growing in our hatred of sin? So we look for these things. We look at these signposts uh, to cling to. And I think this is important for anybody we're discipling. This, again, for a new believer, and it's a little bit challenging because they're not going to have as much of a history to look toward, of course. Um, but we want them understanding what to look for and being confident as they grow. And for longer term believers, you know, I don't know of any, I've never met a believer who we've talked about this, of course, I've met many believers, we've never talked about this, but I've never met a believer who we've talked through this, who has not had times of, of doubt of some level Mm-hmm. Of And to different degrees, some have had crises of faith. Others have just had this kind of nagging moments of, do I really, am I really good with God because of Christ? And have I really trusted in him? And, and so these regular reminders to ourselves to look for this fruit, because God does not want us to live in, in terror. He wants us to live victoriously in joy, knowing. I mean, First John talks about this so much, knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, we should know, we can know that we're right with God because of the completed work of Christ. So this is a really important conversation to have with those whom we're discipling to, to give them that freedom. I would, I would guess a lot of people we're discipling secretly struggle with this from time to time, if not more frequently. And so we can help provide that liberation from that fear by having these conversations with them. Definitely. 
Definitely. Well, you know, I lost my words. <laughs> Definitely. You know, one of the things I don't fear is having this conversation with you, Brian, um, <laughs> because it is a, it is always a good one. It is always good to talk about the Bible with you and, um, figure out how we can live, uh, live a uh live in light of the gospel notice that i did not do the thing i was tempted to do i was <laughs> tempted to say living godly lives uh but i and i used it there as an example but <laughs> yeah, listeners that, there's an inside joke there so uh the, the, the phrase living something life the that combination just you you avoid it you don't want to use that expression you don't live a life you just what, what's your best life can you live your best oh life? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> all right. On that note, uh, thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to this show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. <laughs>